Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Luke Hunt and this is another podcast for The Diplomat. And with me today is Bradley Berg, who wears many hats. And today he's speaking as a distinguished fellow and senior advisor for research at the Cambodian Institute for Cooperation and Peace. Bradley, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Luke. It's great to be back. Uh, we've had a rather interesting month in Cambodia and Bali and Bangkok with uh, the Asian Leaders Summit, the G20 and APEC. And then there was the COP20 on top of all that. Uh, one of the key takeaways, it's been unprecedented in the sense of how many leaders, how many issues, what's been put on the table, what was achieved, and what was left off? Uh, well, broadly speaking, I think the theme that runs through both of these uh, for Southeast Asia is uh, the comparative and relative success of both Cambodia's role as ASEAN chair, uh, along with Indonesia's role uh, chairing the G20. Uh, we didn't see, particularly for Cambodia, a repeat of uh, the events of its previous chairmanship, which was a major goal. Uh, and Indonesia was able to successfully shepherd through a number of initiatives as well. Uh, at the same time, if we were actually going list, list form for what, yeah. what's, the mo what's the most salient, uh, for ASEAN it's obviously the agreement in principle to admit uh, Timor-Leste uh, and finally make, uh, make good on that. As, as President Ronald Schwartz has noted, it's easier to get into heaven than it is to get into ASEAN apparently. Uh, but yes. so the so so Timor Leste moving into the club and now being able to join all observer meetings as it as it finalizes the process process is, is quite significant. At the same time at the G20, uh, we did see um, the U.S. and China have uh, side meetings, significant side meeting between President Biden and President Xi, uh, and the agreement that uh, they will begin to renew cooperation on climate change. Uh, at the same time, the agreement that Secretary Blinken will make a visit to China next year. Uh, I think it's been four years since we've had a visit at that level. So uh, it, is, uh, it, is, it is significant uh, progress, at least in terms of calming the waters uh, to some degree. Bit of a pushback from China in the sense that uh, we've had, you know, BRI, China expanding, China bad boy behaving badly. Given the isolation that's undergone over the last two, three years, particularly during COVID, there seems to be some kind of like, um, you know, can we, are we allowed in the club or we not? China, China's. I mean, if we were doing this uh, before, uh, before the recent events in, in Shanghai and in, in China, and sure, in China yeah. before the COVID protest started, but uh, it was noticeable that China has come back, and China uh, very much uh, had strong meetings with uh, some uh, South Korea, with the Philippines, with Japan, with Australia, the very uh, memorable one with uh, Canada and Pr uh, Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau, but that China's been sort of reaching out to those states that it uh, may have alienated and at least attempting, it seems, uh, to uh, restore relations after uh, years of wolf warrior diplomacy. Um, but whether or not that bears fruit is, is another question. Uh, China does seem to be saying, okay, we're here, we're back. Uh, but whether we're actually going to see concrete progress on that other than photo ops uh, is, is an open question. They're very good at photo ops and I guess it should be pointed out that they uh, pretty much put the uh, BRI back on the agenda with the $1.6 billion expressway to be built from Phnom Penh yeah. to uh, Tibet on the Vietnamese border. BRI's, BRI's back and, they, and, and they've made their commitment and we, we saw from the G7 states as well their own initiative uh, essentially uh, being pushed forward with a quite a new bit of spending uh, being rolled out. Uh, at the same time though, it's, it's that question of, all right, China's made commitments in the past, it made commitments that it would be doing high quality development, that it would be moving forward on this. Uh, it released its white paper in January of 2021 and now we're nearly two years away from that and we don't really see significant 
progress or anything really measurable in terms of transparency, adhering to OECD uh, Development Assistance Committee standards and practices. Uh, China continues to frame its aid as being something distinct uh, and therefore following different rules under South-South cooperation. Um, but Beijing set the bar for itself and it now has to, has to show where it is and it can't just be more money. Uh, right. it, it, needs to be, it needs to be better quality projects. Well, we're on the same topic. Two issues that seem to be pushed completely into the sidelines. First was the South China Sea dispute, and as we both understand, uh, the Cambodians were keen not to see that issue come to the fore. The, the other one which has been mentioned uh, a few times over the past week is uh, the Mekong River. Yeah, true. Uh, on, on the first, uh, we did see the G20 very much lead into uh, COP27 and the, and the right. outcomes there, uh, particularly the 1.5 degree commitment and the maintenance thereof uh, that we saw. There was some stage setting for, for what, fi what finally finished off at COP, uh, not including the, the loss and damage agreement, which was very last minute, uh, but was welcomed by many as at least a, a key first step in that area. Uh, in terms of the Mekong, no, we did not hear uh, much at all. Uh, in terms of uh, future, in terms of commitments, in terms of, again, another, another Chinese commitment on hydrological uh, data sharing. Uh, and where, where are we with that? Beijing's made that commitment and it really hasn't lived up to it. Uh, it continues to go on the offensive against entities that are working on the topic. Uh, and it such does, as su su such as Stimson, such as, such as Eyes on the Earth and the Mekong Dam Monitor. Uh, and that, that is uh, a continued issue. And, and just about two weeks ago, there was, uh, I was at a conference and hearing a Chinese colleague discussing China's commitments on a blue economy and on, on environmental protection and emergency preparedness. And it was, it was stunning to hear someone say that when China's made very similar commitments to the Mekong region and has not fulfilled those. What's I think very interesting right now about China is that China's begun to essentially set its own standards for itself. And now China has to live up to them. Right, are those standards higher than they were before? Are they high enough today? They're, 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 not, they're not nearly as high as where, where many people would like them, but they're definitely at least some recognition that uh, Beijing has made missteps. Um, but the point is you can make as many commitments as you want. If you don't follow through, then uh, your credibility is lost in terms of uh, other areas. Uh, when China says, oh, we're going to make a commitment on X, Y, and Z, it says, well, look what you did previously, and you didn't do it. Why should we believe you this time? How are you going to credibly commit to it? Now, uh Biden did not go to APEC, Harris did attend. It's not that unusual, but it always seems to uh, generate, uh, you know, why aren't you coming? Why aren't you there kind of thing? You have a very different take on this. Well, a take I tend to agree with. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, first let's look at Biden's schedule. I mean, he's, he's hitting three summits in a row. I mean, he's, 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 he's pushing 80. Uh, and you could, you could see he was, he was pretty, pretty exhausted uh, by the end. Uh, and uh, that is, that, uh, that's, that's a heavy itinerary for anybody and a heavy number of official events. At the same time though, Xi Jinping didn't come to Phnom Penh. Right. We got Li Keqiang. We did not see China show up to the ASEAN summit. Uh, and where if the US doesn't show up uh, or sends Vice President Harris, uh, we always hear, oh, America doesn't care about ASEAN, Washington doesn't care about ASEAN. Well, uh, we don't hear that about China. Uh, right. It seems that there's a, a bit of a double standard uh, when it, when, from some of our friends uh, in the region of Washington needs to be at every single event, uh, but if China doesn't attend or doesn't, uh, doesn't equal on par, then, then crickets, absolute crickets. Uh, so I think that, that critique that uh, it was valid during the Trump years and to some extent uh, during, the, during the Obama period, um, but looking at the special ASEAN summit the U.S. held right, earlier this year, yeah. I mean, the U.S. has had a special summit. Its president has come to Phnom Penh. This is, uh, uh, and there's a new U.S. ambassador to ASEAN. Uh, I think that it's time to really move past the U.S. does not engage with ASEAN or the vice president is somehow a, a slight to, to ASEAN. Uh, the president lives in Washington, D.C. He doesn't live here in the region. I think the 
While we're on the subject of China, what do you make of the latest developments coming out of Shanghai? Uh, it's, it's too early to tell. Uh, where this goes. I think that uh, it, we're not able to make Tiananmen comparisons. Uh, that, that's a fundamentally different period, a fundamentally uh, different different challenge. Uh, what I think has been noticeable and is, 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 is worth examining is that one, we're seeing these outside of not just Beijing, uh, but Beijing, Shanghai, Kunming, uh, across across various cities in China, which is which is distinct. Um, the, and that there appears to be some level of at least protesters knowing what other protesters are doing. There is, there is some level of, of coordination there. We saw China try to flood Twitter with essentially pornography uh, as a way to throw off uh, access to a lot of uh, locations, et cetera, that were, if you were searching for what's going on in, in X city, you'd come up with, with this. It's, it's been noted by a few people uh, earlier this morning. Uh, but uh, we're not, this is the first time that there has not just been uh, the statement of, of, of uh, Xi Jinping uh, stepped down and yeah. then a direct critique of the Chinese Communist Party is, 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 this is unheard of that this would take place. Would there be other factions inside the uh, CCP contributing to this? Looking at Xi Jinping's uh, coming off of the last, p of, of the party congress, where mm -hmm. we very vividly saw, in October, uh, in October we, vividly, yeah. we vividly saw President, uh, former President Hu Jintao, whether it was a medical issue or not, but being walked away out of the, uh, out of the conference hall in the Great Hall of the People, uh, Xi Jinping is coming off of, of full consolidation of power, an unprecedented third term. There really isn't any other faction left in the party. Um, that's, he, has, he has consolidated control. I mean, the irony, of course, is after finally consolidating control within, within two months, he's, he's now seeing uh, protests like uh, the likes of which we've never seen before uh, in terms of, of open, open, open critique, where critique of Xi Jinping can get you arrested on any day of the week. Sure. Uh, but going out in public and seeing this at the elite universities, at Tsinghua, at, Be at Beijing University as well. Uh, and it's just now a question of, well, does this go? Does this continue? How is this going to develop over time? There's no way President Xi can, can allow this to continue. This, this, is a, this is a direct threat uh, to the maintenance of his rule. But Beijing has painted itself into a corner. Hey, uh, the protest spontaneous in that initially they were in a run which is understandable the horrendous nature people have been treated, um, particularly the Muslims and the religious. Well, I think we, we, we if for, for Rumshi and Xinjiang, we put, I think for this we have to put the Muslim, uh, the, the Uyghur issue and, and the continued uh, oppression of the Uyghurs, the concentration camps, et cetera, uh, to one side, because this is this protests are definitely on about that. Um, this is, uh, we're looking at, at Han Chinese, essentially, right. uh, protesting. And this is all about COVID. This is, this is, about, this is about lockdowns, and this is about uh, a number of, a run of bad stories for China, and a run of tragedies, really, um, where people have died due to restriction measures, and the level of, of uh, unwillingness to, to modify those. Uh, the center says it's going to modify, but officials at the provincial and the, and the municipal level um, don't want to be caught out with rising case numbers. And now we're looking at a situation where China has, it turns out, China has vaccination rates that are actually not incredibly high for uh, its, or its elderly population. And the whole question of, well, Sinovac and Sinopharm, the rest of us have moved on from those and are all now taking Pfizer and Moderna and, and everything yeah. else. China's not. The efficacy of them are, are, are quite, uh, quite open to question. We know the new strain is relatively uh, more virulent from, from what uh, some of the research is telling us at this point. Um, so where does China go? If, is China able to actually open up 
uh, and, and move on with this. At the same time, dealing with the possibility of, okay, yeah, a lot of people could, could very easily die, uh, but also dealing with a population that is sick of it. Um, and at the same time is watching the rest of the world gather in, in Doha, not wearing masks, not social distancing, uh, all uh, cheering along the World Cup. Which of course, Be which Beijing, which China isn't even in this year, um, although it did make a very large point of how such a, some, some of the equipment and the air conditioning is from China. Uh, but uh, they're not, they're, they're not, they're not playing. But they did note uh, their, 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 their other, their, their trade, their trade contributions. That yes. <laughs> uh, moving back towards Asia, can East Timor, assuming it does get in next year, can it shift the balance in terms of power? attitudes to China, the South China Sea, what sort of impact will its membership have? I think it's uh, it's not going to have a major major shift for ASEAN itself, partially because ASEAN's uh, deeply caught in its own uh, sub uh, sub uh, optimum right. uh, equilibrium trap. Um, it's 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 it is we have to recognize a relatively small country uh, in terms of its economy, et cetera, and the amount of influence that, mm -hmm. will ha that it will have. Um, it also uh, will have significant needs in order to uh, continue to catch up with uh, sure. the other ASEAN but, states. Yeah, I mean, ASEAN is a vehicle that allows countries like Brunei mm. to punch well above its weight. So the same should be said for East Timor. True. It's a Catholic country. Mm -hmm. uh, one would imagine, uh, particularly given the improved relations between Dili and Jakarta over the last 10 years, that it could be expected to side with Indonesia and has this troika with Malaysia and Brunei in regards to the Rohingya and is taking a harsher stance on issues like Myanmar, mm. which we haven't got to yet. But uh, how do you think these two could shape up? And it's a democratically elected country. It is. And, and I mean, the fact that, I mean, what, one of the things ASEAN certainly needs is, a is, is another functioning democracy uh, in the club because we, we've seen the rollback of, liberal, of liberalization and democratization throughout the last five or six years. Uh, but I, I still don't think it's going, I think, I think Timor-Leste is going to be a, a, a good member uh, and it's going to be a valuable member, but I think it's going to take Timor-Leste some time uh, to find its place in ASEAN uh, and also to begin to navigate the changing uh, landscape that is ASEAN. As we see this growing maritime mainland divide, uh, as we see uh, growing gaps between countries as regards their China policy. Um, countries are saying, oh, we don't have to pick a side, we don't want to pick a side, but we all know who leans in certain directions. For example, I mean, the Philippines is, is it's very difficult to say you don't lean to one side when you, have a, when you have a defense treaty, and you're actively working towards strengthening that defense treaty to cover other areas as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that is what's going on in Manila, as they move away from the problems of the Duterte years uh, towards a much uh, more strengthened relationship uh, with Washington. But ASEAN, and as we're going to get into obviously with, with Myanmar, has some severe internal challenges at this point in time. Uh, I think that, that uh, Indonesia has a lot on its plate. Uh, Indonesia does have an ambitious agenda, uh, a very, very solidly developed, very well planned agenda for its, for its chairmanship. Uh, but at the same time, the question is, is the old ASEAN model fit for purpose and is it time to move on? And right. a lot of people, myself included, would say yes. Yeah. And of course, uh, Indonesia is taking over its chair of ASEAN, or just has uh, Yep. from uh, Cambodia. How, do you, how would you sum up Cambodia's year? Cambodia had a better year than expected. Uh, I think it was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, the issues 
could have stifled it, could have caused issues, the South China Sea, et cetera, did not come up uh, or were successfully uh, kept from coming up. Uh, and broadly, we saw on questions such as Ukraine, uh, Cambodia actually take a pretty strong leadership role uh, in its votes in the United Nations, as well as its, its overall, uh, overall approach to Ukraine, uh, which was a surprise to quite a few observers. Broadly, though, uh, in terms of the three poles of ASEAN, Cambodia did well. Uh, we can't expect it to fix everything, uh, and Myanmar is the, is the outstanding issue. It is indeed. I mean, uh, I'm a little bit in two minds about Cambodia's efforts to negotiate, which was stated to normalise relations with uh, Myanmar was wrong. However, the, I think they should have been expected to at least negotiate. I mean, if they hadn't, then they're going to stand accused of not doing anything. Mm. There's a lot of folks that would, uh, in, in light of the structure of ASEAN, in light of the, Myan, the, government, uh, the Myanmar military government's decisions as to it, what it's willing to put up with, this issue, in my view, was a loser from the beginning. Um, I don't think there's really anything else that Cambodia could have done that would have been effective. It it's, it's requires a give and take from both sides. Uh, and Myanmar, in my view, has figured out that, uh, or at least their, their position is, they've, they, they've clearly, <laughs> clearly decided, um, they're just going to wait this out that uh, unless we get something that is, uh, would be a, an extreme set of sanctions um, or something else so along Myanmar, uh, they're just going to wait this out and, and over years try to ne- figure out their relationship with ASEAN. But the, that's the, it. The reaction though, this year when they had, uh, I mean, after the sense initial visit to Myanmar, Ong Min Hlaing referred to him as his brother mm. and it didn't behave like a brother. No. Yes. The other 6,000 prisoners, but yes. a little bit too late. And well, they, kind of, they seem to be able to shoot themselves in the foot every time there's an opportunity that uh, uh, presents itself and in that they wanted to attend these conferences and they were bad. Yep. And it's like, be a good boy. This is what you need to do. And they just did the exact opposite. And they're just not going to do it. They're going to, they're going, they, they've, they've shown and they've demonstrated that they'll, they'll, they'll make those statements in public, et cetera. But, mm-hmm. but once someone gets back on the plane, it's back to business as usual. Uh, and they're not—they're not up for it. They're not—they're not going to move ahead. The five-point consensus is uh, reaffirmed by ASEAN, but is dead in the water. It doesn't look as though Myanmar is looking forward to, to participating in this in any way. Um, has its own approach uh, that it sees as being valid, but um, ASEAN's not on board with that. Uh, so it's, in my view, this is unless we see some uh, significant instability within the country that. Uh, Further clashes, etc. We're, we're, we're not going to see ASEAN play play a major role. It doesn't. It just doesn't appear that's going to happen. Although it is true that other that Indonesia could be um, could 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 break the logjam if it potentially wants to. Um, it has the size. It has the influence. It's this is. I mean, two summits, of G20 it's and the, ASEAN. It's the only G20. Country. Exactly. But the question is, will uh, will Indonesia want to stake its entire? I mean, it's really playing putting all your chips in and staking your entire ASEAN chairmanship on on we're going to resolve this. Right. Um, where there's quite a few other issues that ASEAN has yeah. to resolve. Um, speaking of which, Russia, uh, I've, I've never been terribly impressed with its uh, uh, presence in Southeast Asia, although it speaks to the opposite. Mm. Uh, Lavrov has made, uh, Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister, has made several trips out this way. They've got a toehold in Myanmar through weapons sales, but how, we're coming to the end of the year. How do you rate them? Their efforts. Yeah, I mean, Russia has has the historic ties uh, to certain places. We look at Laos, we look at Vietnam, uh, even to some extent, uh, just uh, based upon the 1980s uh, in Cambodia. Uh, but uh, Myanmar is obviously the most uh, straightforward one. 
in terms yep. of the, the relationship and who Russia and Russia's been a major patron of the military government. And uh, when you talk about Russia and Southeast Asia, we talk about weapon sales. And it's not even that significant. I mean, Myanmar, Malaysia, Vietnam, not in that order. But uh, that's, that's Russia and Southeast Asia. We do not, and, and previously some uh, growth in tourism. But um, Russian trade is relatively low. We don't see uh, much Russian presence here really at all. Yes, uh, Lavrov uh, comes and he'll visit Vietnam, and et cetera. But beyond that, uh, Russia is, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, even despite its signing of the Treaty of uh, Amity and Friendship, is essentially a non-entity in Southeast Asia. I mean, it would be challenging to, to, to write a book about it. Uh, I don't know where you'd find enough data um, to look at contemporary Russia in, in Southeast Asia. In, in Southeast Asia, there's just not enough. There's just not enough there. I wrote a column for the Diplomat not that long ago about Russia and Southeast Asia, and some wag underneath the, on the Twitter feed uh, wrote, it would help if they uh, spent some money. <laughs> yeah, I, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be happening anytime. Uh, for, the, for Moscow, that's not going to be happening anytime soon. I mean, this is, I mean, it, this has been a, it's been a bad ASEAN for Moscow. Uh, it's been a great ASEAN for Ukraine. I mean, they came in, they get to sign. It's, 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 it, mm. it's symbolic, but they signed the Treaty of Amity and Friendship, and right. they have the, 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 uh, the G20 condemn, condemnation. It's, it's also required to become a. Yeah. Uh, it's one step away from becoming a dialogue partner. Now, if that was to happen, say, in a year or two, that would put Ukraine on par with uh, Russia. Yeah, and here in Phnom Penh during the Oscar meeting, I mean, the hot ticket was meeting the uh, Ukrainian foreign minister. Indeed. I mean, that, that, he had a pretty heavy schedule for his, for his time and in town. Very popular. Wasn't very it? popular. Very popular. Kiev to come to Phnom Penh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For, for, yes. for a debut, it's, it's, yeah, very well attended. Um, uh, one country which, is, uh, which I love dearly and always seems to be awkwardly turned toward old Russian Cold War ally, but these days, Vietnam. Mm. Oh, I think if, uh, Vietnam's had the first big bonus is that COVID's over in Vietnam. Uh, I mean, Vietnam did lock down very hard, uh, and there were significant impacts. It was a, a very uh, difficult place to, to be resident uh, during during COVID. Um, but if we look generally at Vietnam over the last three or four years, even before COVID, I mean, Vietnam's been a huge winner on U.S.-China trade uh, mm -hmm. trade issues, on the U.S.-China tra trade fight, and seeing so much offshoring, so much foreign direct investment. Uh, the Vietnamese economy is doing quite well. The Vietnamese government is obviously incredibly stable. Uh, and uh, Vietnam's issue, of course, is the South China Sea is, is not being settled and uh, continuing to run into, well, is this, what about the future of the code of conduct and the South China Sea code of conduct? Well, is, how can this move forward? Can this be established? And in, increasingly more and more folks seem to be willing to just put it on the table and say the South China Sea code of conduct is dead. It is simply oh, not going to it's just, it's just not going to happen. I mean, how long can you draw it out? The China is simply not going to abide by it. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's time to move on. Uh, and I think folks are now beginning to, at least in conversations I've had, people do seem to be now willing to say, well, what's, what are the alternatives? What is, what is next here? Um, and I think we're going to start hearing more of that uh, coming out of the think tanks and out of uh, the track two diplomacy stuff um, as people start looking at, okay, what's a, what is a, what is a non-code uh, of conduct South China Sea look like in terms of building some degree of stability. Uh, the unsettled outlook is actually the norm. This, yeah, this is simply not something that's going to be uh, uh, settled with 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 the with with the treaty agreement. 
I mean, it's, I mean, the Philippines will be the first country to say, well, yeah, we went through uh, international arbitration in The Hague, uh, and uh, yeah, no, China's never agreed to it. We, we won that, uh, and no, 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 uh, Beijing hasn't adhered to it. So it goes back to, okay, yeah, Beijing hasn't adhered to that commitment. Why would it possibly be viewed as, as adhering to another one? Uh, it's one of the most fascinating times to look at China because, yes, we do see the changes domestically with Xi Jinping's consolidation, and now we, of course, see the protests. But at the same time, um, we're not dealing with a, a China that is, is brand new. Uh, we're not dealing with a China where everyone's optimistic about a harmonious world or optimistic about China's peaceful rise. Um, we've already gone through that, uh, and now we've moved into an era where China has a track record. China has a past. Uh, and, 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 and before. Yeah. You want to get into the WTA? Okay, you're in. By the rules. Yeah, and every, everyone had, uh, there was that, that famous quote, uh, famous, famous problematic quote by Bill yeah. Clinton on WTO saying that this would bring China closer uh, to us, closer to us, he was referring obviously to the United States and to the yeah. West, and saying that this was, that, that China's entry is, and, and we saw in the early 2000s, I mean, just the flood of academic work of how China's integration into global was really affecting the party, and this was no, really changing. Oh, yeah, and, and this will be great. And uh, the, to, be, to be fair, mo I think most China folks have been, haven't, haven't been that optimistic about the democracy side for quite some time. No, but still, but, but on, on other aspects, yes, and there are yeah. lots of work done on this topic. Uh, and well, that's, that's, that clearly was wrong, and that clearly didn't, didn't, didn't pay off. Uh, so we're in a, we're at a period where China has a record, and, it's, and it needs to be it needs to be examined, as opposed to putting on rose-colored glasses and thinking, oh well, if they if, if everyone's level of uh, of GDP per capita just hits a certain level, everything's going to be fine. Um, no, it's it's not. Right. Overall, uh, uh, the West generally for the year seems to have had a good one. Dare I mean, reveal my politics? And, uh, <laughs> you know, quite like the Australian government. I think she has. Getting things back on track in a region which the previous government was just kind of please, we don't want to know sort of attitude. And uh, but with AUKUS and the Quad, and the, it just seems to me that the West is very much back on the front foot. It is very much engaged and has had a much better year. And the Chinese are sort of like uh, looking on from the outside. Uh, it's, it's 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 and it's a lot of uh, things that the West itself couldn't have really uh, controlled. I mean, ultimately, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, was what uh, finally got what, what shifted NATO entirely, uh, fundamentally changed German, Germany's entire foreign policy essentially right. from its from its previous role with Russia, and uh, we've seen a much more unified West, uh, and yes, we also saw uh, we've also seen with AUKUS, um, although that has brought up uh, some, in my view, relatively mm -hmm. invalid criticism of AUKUS, uh, but uh, as an as an institute as a as a as a as a as an agreement between these three states is is quite significant. Uh, and for Australia's own role. And of course, Penny Wong comes in. She has, uh, right off the bat, she has a, a great big victory as China's unable to seal its 10-state uh, agreement in the South Pacific. And Australia comes off awesome. So, okay, this is our backyard. And no, 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 this is not something that, 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 that should work. And all we're seeing really is a reestablishment of um, the powers that be after World War II. Uh, yes, in what sense? In the, uh, in the sense that um, it's almost a reversion to Pi-Bi. It's not that it ever went away. Mm. Yeah, the relationships, it's, it's deepening, it, I think, between those. Uh, but it'll be very, it's also very interesting to see where the European Union is now um, and to see that, okay, we have German, uh, the German outlook on uh, the Indo-Pacific, we have the French outlook on the Indo-Pacific, we have the ASEAN, everybody. Um, and we have the EU playing a greater role. We have uh, European states uh, involved in joint naval exercises in the South China Sea. So it's, it's also, I think we, we can't ignore the EU's role and we can't ignore Europe's increasing activity uh, in the region. What do you think were the key takeaways from the three conferences? Altogether, um, yep. 
First, I think it just has to be noted that this was a successful conference year for the Southeast Asian states uh, in terms of their leadership, their ability to manage difficult questions during an incredibly difficult time. I mean, we're dealing with post-COVID, we're dealing with Ukraine, we're dealing with Myanmar, and yes, there is issues that ASEAN is clearly not capable of handling, um, and there, there are questions raised, but th that at the same time, the actual diplomacy was actually taking place um, does demonstrate a solid role for Cambodia and Indonesia. These are not easy things to lead. Um, and that, uh, that was quite impressive. Second, I think the unity on Ukraine has been incredibly impressive, especially when we saw the statement from the G20, the declaration, et cetera, at the end of the day. Uh, but uh, Russia be really being just put into a corner. I mean, Russia is being so isolated is quite impressive uh, to see where, where, it, uh, where, that's, where, that's, where that's come about because of its ultimately unjustified aggression. Third is, uh, again, the entry of Timor-Leste, but at the same time, we can't ignore the fact of, of Myanmar, that yep. Myanmar, is, Myanmar is the failure on the table. Uh, as I said before, I don't think there's anything that Cambodia really could have done uh, as chair that, uh, that, it, that it didn't do, that would have been effective, um, and I base that off of uh, my own perception of the Myanmar government's uh, views and, and its interests. But we're going to be uh, either Myanmar is going to become considerably worse in a short period of time, which a lot of people are, are becoming concerned about, or we're going, we're just in it. We're they're in for a drawn out long. It's it's the bad old days. Either way, I think if Myanmar is going to be the story of next year, I think it's going to increasingly matter. It's and, and we'll see how we'll see how Indonesia takes the takes on the leadership with it. On that note, the outlook for twenty twenty three. We're uh, well, we, one topic we haven't discussed is is the economy. Uh, and, and, and uh, that, yeah, so I think that's that's one that uh, is 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 in my in my mind uh, still. Uh, we and we did see outcomes from the G20 on it. Uh, we saw uh, concerns raised about okay, if we keep seeing interest rates rise uh, in the states and, and dealing with this, yeah, we can see capital outflows from uh, from uh, developing countries, which is a concern. Um, we've seen already economic problems severe uh, up in Laos, and we've seen it in a few other states as well. Um, so where this goes, uh, and uh, also uh, looking at events today in China, looking at the beginning of protests, um, and we saw markets in Asia already down two, three, four percent uh, first thing this morning. Uh, but uh, so uh, we have a lot of, of variables right now in a very unstable economic situation. We have not fully recovered from from COVID. Things are not back to normal. Um, no, China, no. China is still closed, and uh, this is uh, a very going to be a very volatile volatile period uh, for the next year. Uh, so. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Bradley Moon, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the